0: You never know how strong you are until being strong is your only choice. Hey everybody, welcome to Crime Over Cocktails. I'm Tiffany, your host, and this week we're going to do things a little differently. As I drink my Mick Ultra, I have the pleasure of interviewing Susan McGrath. She is a survivor of her own story, and she decided it was her time to tell it.
1: So, hi Susan, how are you today? I am well. Um, hello everybody who's listening. We appreciate you tuning in to our conversation do you want to start by walk us through the day? Was it a normal day? Yeah, it was, ve- it was very much a normal day. It was a Wednesday. I had been at work that day. I had a conference call that evening and I went back to my office to do this conference call and I came home kind of like around nine o'clock afterwards and usually I come home and relax and pile on the sofa and watch TV until I get sleepy and so I did did that for a while and the way my house is set up like you can see the walkway from when you're sitting on the sofa the front door has a lot of windows on it and you can see outside and you can see the walkway up to the house. Earlier in the evening, this man started walking up towards the house, and sometimes there are homeless folks who will walk up and ask for money or something, and I saw him walking up, and I said, I'm not available right now, and he turned around and left, and so I went back to watch TV, and you fell asleep on the sofa. About 11.30 that night, I woke up to him coming inside my house, Yeah. How did he get in? I didn't have the door locked, you know, which is my fault, Um, but I... I have lived in my house for 20 years. It's a very quiet street. Like, there's... I've never had any problems there. The neighbors are all home you felt all the safe. time. Yeah. I, I didn't... Like, yeah. I mean, in hindsight, you should never assume anything, right? Well, but, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had no idea that something like that could happen. Yeah. Right.
0: You see it on TV,
1: but you never think it's going to happen to you. Yeah. You read about that. You know, it's funny when the the day that the police were there and were processing the house. We were standing outside and I was talking to the detective and I said, you know, of all the houses in St. Petersburg, like, why and how did he pick my house, right? Right. And, you know, I'll probably never really know, but sometimes I don't wonder if, you know, when he walked up. Because he walked up to my house that night. I know he walked up to my neighbor. I don't know if he did other ones. And I'm wondering if he saw, like, a woman alone in her house. I, I had very few lights on. I, um, you know, I... It, I probably looked vulnerable, right? I mean, I think people who commit crimes look for opportunity, and I probably... They look for easy prey, yeah. so to say. Yeah, yeah, I completely understand. Maybe your neighbor had a man there or something. It, it, so it's a couple, uh, husband and wife, and the husband went to the door. Yeah, you know, I was I live alone. I was in my house with my two puppies, and, you know, he, maybe he saw an opportunity. I don't know. So once he's inside of your house... Mm -hmm. What happened? Yeah, so I tried to get out the door, and it's a big heavy door. He grabbed me by the throat and like pulled me back, and it hurt when he did that, and I told him, I said, you're hurting me. I don't know if we assume those people care anything about that, but I said that. Then at one point, we were on the sofa, and I had this little table next to the sofa where I had these little safety scissors because I had been cutting like the hair out of my dog's eyes and he grabbed the scissors and he held them to my throat and he told me to be quiet you know they they didn't have a sharp point but I wasn't going to assume anything and right and I tried to be quiet um it's still a weapon <laughs> yeah right and then he raped me two times and I'm so sorry about that part I know that's... yeah Yeah, no, um, there were parts of it that were unpleasant, Um, you know, places like he made me touch him and stuff that I didn't want to, but I didn't have any choice. You know, I remember thinking, just, you know, just bide your time because this can't last forever. I mean, it's got to stop at some point. I agree with you. I mean,
0: I feel sometimes the people who fight back are the ones that don't make it. If you kind of ride along, maybe play the girlfriend experience, you have a better chance of living.
1: Yeah. The detectives in in the interview, they ask me all kinds of questions like that. Like, why didn't you scream? And why didn't you do all these other things? And when I've gone through therapy, the therapists say there's like four different responses that people have when they go through trauma. I forget what they're called, but one of them is that you try to like, you, you don't fight back, but you tried to like get through it and you tried minimize what's going on. I'm not explaining it very well, but that's one of the coping mechanisms that trauma victims use to get through an experience. Because for a long time the police ask you all these questions like why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? Da 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 da. da. For a while I thought I made a lot of bad choices. And um, or wrong choices, you know, I made the wrong choices, like, why didn't I do this? Or why didn't I do that? And it wasn't until my therapist told me one day, she said, you got outside, you did what you needed to do to survive. And so you didn't do anything wrong. Everybody is
0: going to look at a situation differently. I think you were able to read your attacker and you knew that if you did play along with him and that you knew that he was actually going to let you live.
1: Yeah, so, and I I don't own a gun. I'll never shoot a gun. I'm not that kind of person. Lots of people have said, oh, you need to get a gun or, you know, all of these things. Um, That's not who I am. I did a couple things. I tried to pretend like I was sick so he would stop raping me. I tried to stick my finger down my throat when he wasn't looking to throw up, but I didn't have any food in my stomach, so that didn't work. But I kept telling him, oh, I'm sick, and you know, I don't know if that worked, or he just like had enough after he raped me the two times, but he didn't leave right away. He didn't leave at all. So he, he, so that did stop for a while, and then, and then my strategy was you know, I saw this movie, I can't remember the name of it, but it was about, and it was a true story. This woman was held captive in like this bunker of this home, and she ended up being impregnated by the man who was holding her captive, and she had a son, she was like nice to him, like she tried to like be friendly with him, and my my strategy was to get him to like me enough that he didn't want to hurt me. He did not leave after that, he stayed, and I had this like can of soup sitting out. And he like opened the can of soup and like just drank it, which he didn't heat it up or nothing? No. Which, right? That's That was my reaction. Cause, and I said to him, I go, wow, you must be really hungry. Right? I mean, I think it was like mushroom soup or something, right? Oh, I mean, right? Yeah. Right. No, he was homeless. Um, oh. And I had a couple of, like, canned drinks and stuff that he drank. And he asked me about things I had for v- uh, value in my house. I had an old game system in the back. He saw somehow. He's like, how old is that? I'm like, oh, it's o- over 10 years old. He goes, no, that won't work. So I could tell he was looking for things of value in my house. At some point... I asked him. I said, I said something like, "Well, aren't you going to leave?" Or like, I mean, I was—you've already raped me. There's not really much in my house of value. Like, so where's this going? Right. right?" What's your end game? Yeah. And so I I said something about him leaving, and he's like, "I don't have anywhere to go." And I didn't say anything, but I'm thinking, "Well, you're not (laughs) going to—you can't stay here, (laughs) right? I mean, here. (laughs) Oh my God, we're not going to stay here forever, right? But nonetheless, this went on all night long. He. He lied about his name and his age to me, which is fine, whatever, I... I believed him at the time because I'm not naturally a skeptical person, but um, he prayed about something and then like I prayed for him because I wanted him to like see me as a real person and I had this bracelet on. It's very much like this one I have on today, which is just a plain silver band and on the inside, the one I had on that day says, I'm a warrior and I gave it to him and I'm like here. He's like, what does that mean? And I said, it means that, you know, you're strong and you can get through difficult things. The whole time I'm trying to... like he took my phone away from me and he put it like six feet away where I couldn't reach it. I could see it, but I couldn't reach it. And so the whole time I'm thinking about like, how am I going to get out? of here? We were laying on the sofa and he had his leg over me, straddled over me the whole time. So like he'd know if I moved or anything, right? And, right. Um, and I tried to think through, you know, options about how I would get out. And I thought if I run towards the door, there's no way I'm going to get the big heavy door open and out before he catches me. And then I... I thought, well, if you do manage to get out at some point, like, where should you run? Like, which house should I run to? Can I run and get my car before he gets to me? Trying to think through, like, options. And I looked at my phone and I thought, can I get to my phone and... Text one of my friends, and I wouldn't have long to text them. But if I texted them nine one one, would they know what that means? You know, if you got a text and someone texts you nine one one, would you know to call nine one one for right the people? Um, I mean, mostly you think it
0: would mean you need to call me right now, but right. that should maybe be a sign to people if you get 911 from somebody. You know that that means
1: they need 911. Yeah. 9- and then I thought, well, he could he could see the text on my phone, but if I could go to, like, Facebook Messenger and message someone, he wouldn't, like, be able to get to that and see that, because I didn't want to, like, make him angry and him, like, take it out on him. He was very jumpy about noises. Like, when he heard a noise and didn't know what it was, he would want to know what it was. And cause I had told him that I had to go to work that morning, which was not the case, but I lied. There was this car that honked outside and he goes, is that for you? And I said, I don't think so. Look out there and see. And he looked outside. He goes, no. But I wanted him to think like people would be looking for me. Right. How did he feel about the dogs? Since I'm sure they
0: were making noises here and there. No,
1: my dogs are old. and So one was laying next to us and the other (laughs) one was off somewhere. Like, thanks. (laughs) but, But actually, that's how I got out because in the morning he heard a noise and he's like, what's that? And I said, the dog is trying to get out. She needs to go to the bathroom. Like 10 more minutes went by and she was still trying to get out the door. And I said... The dog needs to go to the bathroom, and I'm not going outside without clothes, so I'm gonna put some clothes on. So I jumped up and I threw on some clothes and started going towards the door. And as I went towards the door, I grabbed my phone and I got outside. And it was like 10 30 in the morning. I was in the yard and it was full sunshine outside. It was bright, and I knew that at that point, as I was halfway into the yard, that I had gotten away from them. You felt like you were at a safe distance. Yeah. I- I mean, it was broad daylight. My neighbors could see. I could scream at that point. I could run somewhere. I was probably like 20 feet from them, And he came towards the front door. I have a porch. He was at the porch door, standing in the doorway, watching me. And I looked for my car. My car's gone. Somebody stole my car. And I had a silver Accord. And there's another person on the street who has a silver Accord. And he goes, no, that's it right there. Which he there's no way he would have known which car was. Mine, unless he had been watching you, yeah, yeah, watching me, yeah, yeah. But I said, That one's not mine, and then I said, Someone stole my car, and so I took my phone and I called the police. And I could tell he was listening to me, and I spoke loudly enough so that he would hear. I said, "Someone has stolen my car." Then I, hung up. I said, "You should go because the police are coming." In my mind, I was trying to get him away from me, and he started walking down the street and left. Um, oh my God! So was your car really stolen? It was, and I believe he stole my car. Oh, before we- he got into the house. I see. Most of the crimes he committed after mine revolved around some kind of vehicle theft. I didn't realize it at the time. I thought it was a coincidence that my car was stolen the same night I was sexually assaulted, right? Right. And the police go, that would be a big coincidence. They didn't think it was. And then later, he was never convicted of that or anything, but I think there's enough evidence to know that. He stole my car. So he also came back to my house at least three more times. Oh my gosh. So I didn't live in my house because he knew where I lived and I I didn't feel safe staying there. So I didn't stay there for five months, but I I wouldn't blame you. I would go back to get like clothes or things I needed and... The first time I went back, my TV was gone. Ah! And I thought, you know what? He came back. He got the TV so he could pawn it. It It's an older TV. I don't know how much money you get for that. My neighbors across the street saw him riding a bike, and they said... They were out working on their screens, and they said they saw him riding by my house on a bike, like, really slow, and he was, like, looking back at my house. And once he saw them looking at him, like, he sped up. I think he came back to my house to case my house, see if anybody was inside or what was going on. Right. And then took the TV. And then the next time I went back to my house, there was some clothes on the floor. They weren't my clothes. Inside the house? Inside the house. How was he getting inside? So it wasn't locked at that point. I lost my keys that night. Oh. The third time I went back, he he had like a broken cell phone and a lighter. He did some kind of drugs or something. He was like doing some kind of vaping thing. The night he was in my house. Um, So he had a lighter and a broken cell phone and like this little bag. Police recovered my car. I had it towed back to my house. The next day he came and got the car. I (laughs) think he came and got the car because the next day it was stolen again. I can't. So he has to have your keys, because he's got the key to the car. He's yeah, got the key to your maybe. house. Yeah, maybe. He
0: had to have pocketed those.
1: Yeah, yeah, I didn't really think about it, but probably, right? Yeah, that's, um makes sense. So he stole the car again. Wow. And then the next time they recovered the car, it was in an alley in not a good neighborhood, and the seats were like there was damage to it every time he stole it right but this both the seats were reclined and you don't recline seats all the way unless you're sleeping in a seat right right i mean you can't drive that way and like so i i believe he was sleeping in my car i think he maybe came back to my house like he's homeless to sleep in it when i wasn't staying there or whatever right oh Um, for sure i bet he was yeah and then he was sleeping in my car he's ballsy yeah (laughs) you you know yeah after that he one saturday morning he went to a different neighborhood and this woman had her back door open and he came inside and he choked her and he got her car keys and he went outside and he couldn't drive the car because it was a standard transmission he couldn't drive stick (laughs) so he left he was out of luck and he went down the street to another house and the woman had a sword on the wall and he threatened the woman with the sword and did Steal her car. Some weeks later, he went to a pet store in Tampa and threatened the cashier and stole the cashier's car. Um, He's not the brightest. Yeah. Like, the experience with the detectives was not good originally. They didn't believe me. There was a four and a half hour interview where I was by myself.
0: That's so frustrating. Like, why would you make that up? Who in their right mind is going to
1: make all this up? That's horrible. What I consider my second level of trauma like there was the trauma of the incident with Derek Malone and then there was the trauma of the four and a half interviews with the detectives I had a friend who dropped me off but it because of COVID nobody could come inside so I'm in this little room with two detectives one of them at one point screams really loud and like I I jumped because you know it's I'm well, still right. like shaking and all of that I've been through scream. a lot <laughs> And he goes, that's what I would do if somebody jumped on me. You don't
0: know that until you're in the moment.
1: So anyone who says, this is what I would do. Oh, I
0: would take it this way. You don't know until you're in it. You don't. You can say everything
1: you want from sitting on your couch. But when it's actually happening to you. No idea. I found out later that there's a lot of things they did that they're not supposed to do. And one thing is like, you know, at one point the detective asked me, where should we look for your car? Like, I mean, how are you supposed to answer that, right? Right. And I said... If I knew that, I'd go get it myself. Right. (laughs) And And I said, I don't know. I hear that... In the summertime, there's a lot of kids out of school and they steal cars. He said, maybe, you know, I'm trying to answer and be helpful to the detectives. Some years back, I went to work and I parked somewhere I don't usually park. And after 10 hours, they came out. I couldn't find my car and I called the police because I thought it was stolen. Well, it wasn't stolen. So the police detective said, have you ever had your car stolen before in St. Pete? And I said, no, I don't think so. He said, there wasn't ever a time where you thought it was stolen and it wasn't stolen. Mm. And I said, oh, yeah, I forgot where I parked. And he said, did you forget where you parked last night? Wow. You know, that's just disgusting. I'm sorry. That is disgusting. After everything that you have been through, that pisses me off. And by the same token, and then, then I realized they have a file on people, right? Every person. And then they said, have you ever had anybody walk into your house that you weren't expecting? And I said, no. I said, that would be weird, right? I mean, people don't just walk into your house that Right. You don't know, right? He goes, you never had, like, the police come in when you didn't know they were coming in. Some years ago, I have a back door, and I had these garden shears sitting on the steps of the back door. And the back door is warped because of the weather, so sometimes it pops open. So the police saw the shears and the open door, and they, like, stormed my house because they thought someone had broken in. Oh, wow. And then that's what the detective's talking about, and I go... Yeah, that was weird. But I'm like, neither one of those things, me forgetting where I parked my car or the police coming into my house was a crime I committed or anything I did wrong, and yet the detectives are using this stuff against me. I had no idea they even kept that stuff on file. I did neither. I didn't either. Apparently, every interaction you have with the police they keep. And so now they're using this against me in my interview. Right, which is completely wrong. And at one point, one of the detectives takes a piece of paper out, and he draws a horizontal line, and on the left side of the line, he writes lie, and on the right side of the line, he writes truth. And he takes this pen, and he draws a little dot about a third of the way from the lie. And he said, this is where I think you are. Wow. And I said, everything I have told you is the truth. And that like upset me because, you know, that was the only time I think I like raised my voice because I'm like, you're accusing me of lying. I'm not lying. I'm telling you the truth. You have no reason not to believe me. Of course, um, you're being re-victimized all over again. Yeah. I had a cut on my hand, and I showed the one detective the cut on my hand, and he goes, that looks old to me. And I said, well, I didn't have it when I went to bed last night. So right. There was a, a lot of that. So after that, they released me to go to the exam. And I had no vehicle to get there. And the place where you go for the exam is on Roosevelt. I called an Uber. it was the only way I had to get there. The four and a half hours in the interview and all this, I have like a 7% charge left. He had it in his GPS, but you know, sometimes the addresses don't work right in a GPS. So he couldn't find it. And he kept driving around. And I didn't want him to drive around all night. I knew he had to go make money. So I said, just drop me off at that hotel across the street thinking maybe they'll can tell me where the address is, or they have a phone charge or something. And so he dropped me off at the hotel. And, you know, it was COVID. So there was only one person working, didn't know where the address was. Like with a little bit of charge on my phone, left one of my friends in Tampa to drive over, pick me up, and take me to the exam. Wow. People at the exam were wonderful. They were very professional and kind. And then I got to take a shower finally when they were done with that. Then my friend drove me to... Someone bought me a hotel room that night, and my friend dropped me off. I actually went back to my house to get my little dogs. We went to the hotel, and I spent the night there, and then another friend came and picked me up the next day. I had to check out, and so... She took me to get a rental car, and then I had to go find another hotel to stay in. For 30 days, I stayed at like seven different hotels, um, many nights where I didn't know where I'd be staying that night, which is incredibly stressful
0: I only imagine especially when you have your own home you
1: know like you have your place that's supposed to be where you're safe you feel safe so he was not caught then and I knew he had come back to the house several times there was no way I didn't have a security system or anything and there was no way I was gonna stay there it took me five months to be able to go home
0: no I completely agree Like I'd be scared to go there too But Um,
1: it's just, it's a shame because that is supposed to be where you feel safe. There were a couple days where I tried to like drive through the neighborhood and see if I could find him. That never happened. I figured like if I'm in a car, I'm gonna be safe, right? Yeah. Did the neighbors ever call the cops when they would see him on the bike? They didn't know it was him. When they saw it, they thought, well, that's what they said to each other. That's weird, right? I mean, they didn't know what was going on. Right. The neighbors next to me saw him like stealing my car. They didn't call the police for whatever reason. <laughs> uh, the second time he stole it, they saw him like, I guess, around my car or whatever. I had some friends who own a hotel on the beach, a small hotel, and when they weren't busy they would let me stay there for free, but they were closed for a long time because of COVID. So on weekends when they're busy, I didn't want to stay there when they could try and like make some money. So I would check out then and go somewhere else. So that's part of the reason, like the, the, also the place I stayed the first night was not a good place. Like I didn't feel safe there and it wasn't clean and like, yeah, I couldn't stay there. So then I just moved around from a bunch of places and eventually someone I know said they had an empty house in Clearwater I could stay and And it was going to be sold, but it it had no no cable, no internet, no air conditioning for the first part. Oh, (laughs) jeez. Um, They eventually got the air conditioning fixed, but but still I knew like where I would be staying and that was a huge relief to know like you have somewhere to go to at night and I stayed there for a month and then they were ready to sell that house and then there was someone else in Gulfport who had a house vacant for a while that let me stay there for a couple months until I made it home and we did some things to the house before I came back. You know, we changed some of the furniture, we put some security, we fixed the locks on the doors, we changed the locks and, you know, worked. On the house to make it more comfortable for me to be able to go home, but
0: absolutely, and I think a lot of times changing those things can help move on because, especially if you have bad memories on the couch or right. something like that, right. that's not something yeah. you want to look at all the time, yeah,
1: exactly. I mean, yeah, that was the intention of it. It, a couple of good friends did help me for a couple weeks do a lot of work. I don't know if you're familiar with fingerprint dust, but it doesn't come off, oh, um, so we had to like repaint. The house, because the, the fingerprint dust, you can't, like, clean it. It has to be, like, painted over. I um, did not know that. Yeah. I guess I figured it wiped off, like, ashes. <laughs> no, it doesn't. It's, um... No, it has to be painted over. I see. So, so
0: how much total hours was he actually in your house? 11. 11 hours. That's a yeah. long time. Yeah.
1: So I think he came in around 1130 at night and it was 1030 the next morning when I got outside. Which was so
0: smart of you to do because, it, like you said, it's broad daylight. You might have neighbors outside doing other things. And thank God, in a sense, your car was stolen because that gave you your out to the cops
1: yeah yeah i never thought of that but you're right um i was talking to my therapist last week and she said you know because they deal with many people who are survivors and she said your situation is unusual from most of the people and i and i said like how so and she's like most people don't spend 11 hours in that kind of situation you did you know like sometimes it doesn't seem real you know, I'm like, does this really, you know, did this really happen? Is it, is it a bad dream? It's weird. It's like hard for it to sink in. You know, like if I, if I heard this happen to someone else, I would think that's really bad. I guess in my mind, I'm like, I, I, I don't, I don't know if maybe it's a coping mechanism or what, but I like minimize or compartmentalize the experience. He was eventually arrested. So the police got the DNA back from my body, and they had a name. And I remember they, they had shown me like five or six police photos before, and I'm like, I don't really think that's I said one looks a little bit like him but then like a week later he brings me this one photograph and he didn't tell me that they got the DNA back and I said that looks a lot like him he said how sure are you and I'm like 80 percent and that was him so they knew who it was and they had a bolo out for him been to prison before he said to me when he was there that night he said I don't want to go to prison. And I told the detectives this, and I said, I think he's been to prison before because he said, I don't want to go to prison. And the detective said, or he thinks he doesn't want to go to prison because he just raped you. And I'm like, yeah, that's true. But it just seemed to me like... He's been there before. Yeah, you know, like how people would speak to something they've already lived or experienced, right? Right. I knew who he was. I knew that he had been... I think in prison for, like, domestic violence or something else. He was sentenced to, like, 10 years, but he didn't serve 10. He served, like, less. I forget how many. The police detective, like, I, that was very a very scary time because I knew he was out there. I knew who he was. I knew he was coming to my house. Right. So you know he didn't get far. He's still in the area. Well, the detective always said to me, he goes, don't worry, you can't fall off the big blue ball. We'll find him. <laughs> And and I always remember that. Big blue ball. Never heard of it that way, but... Yeah, or the big blue marble. Derek went to a car dealership to pretend he was looking at a car to buy, and he stole the car. At this point the police knew who they were looking for and so when they saw the name they like sent helicopters and all these people to like chase him down he went over the skyway and the police in Manatee County caught him so at one point he was arrested and put in jail and there was relief obviously from that right at least he's not roaming the streets somewhere anymore Because he had been in prison before, there's some kind of law where if you recommit a crime in less than three years, you're looking at life in prison. And Derek was a couple months short of his three years from being out of prison. And so he was looking at life in prison. And by the way, I told the state attorney, I said, I want to go to court. I want to testify. But because he was looking at life in prison, his attorney had him offer a plea deal that the other victims and myself had to agree to. And the other victims were not sexually assaulted. It's a weird thing the way the state attorney in our area works. Those crimes actually had more severe penalties than mine because they had weapons involved and he didn't come in my house. I don't know. Something about that. My crime was a sexual assault, but it carried less penalties than theirs did. That's such bullshit. I, I think it is too, honestly. But the three victims had to agree. And so fled to 30 years in prison with, I think, like a 15-year minimum. And I was I was fine with that. And I went to court the day that he was sentenced. None of the other victims did, but I wanted to be there. It's not like I don't have vengeance, you know, I don't like, there's nothing good about what happened, but I wanted to be there. I wanted to be there the whole time. When I heard the state attorney telling the judge about what he had done, and including my case, I thought it sounded really bad. One of my friends sitting with me, I said, wow, that really sounds really bad. He'd committed a lot of serious crimes. Sounds like a lot of
0: robbery. He's he's a loose cannon. He doesn't need to be on the streets.
1: Yeah. Throughout this whole thing, the first five days, it happened like I cried every day. And then the sixth day, I didn't cry. And I thought, wow, I didn't cry at all today. And then the seventh day, I cried. There was a lot of stress and like different levels of trauma I went through. But at one point, through my recovery, I thought, I have had enough of this consuming my life. I didn't live at home for five months. I didn't do very much work with my employer who were very patient with me. Like, I lost a whole portion of my life that I should have been living. And at one point, I'm like, I've had enough of this. I'm not going to be consumed with it. I'm not going to be angry. I'm not going to cry. I'm letting go of this. And You're ready um, to take control of your life. back. Yeah, you shouldn't get the final say. You should. Yeah, yeah, there's there was enough that I had to spend on this. I don't need to like waste any more time on it. Not everybody gets this but I don't wish him harm. I wish that our penal system had some kind of rehabilitation for people. I don't know what caused him to be this person. When I went to court the day that he was sentenced, I told him I forgave him because I'm like, I'm not going to hold on to that and I I wish he had the opportunity. He's going to be in prison a long time. I think the judge said told him he would probably end up being like more than 20 years. I forget how many, but he's going to be in there a long time. I wish there were more opportunities for people in prison to try and reform themselves. You know, there were moments, this may sound strange to people, but there were moments when he was in my house because it was a long time, 11 hours, like the first couple hours were the assaults and all that, but the rest of it like was a lot of like hanging out and talking. Like I tried to get him to leave and he wouldn't leave. I mean, there were moments where they were somewhat normal conversations. If I took away the first two hours, I would think that he's a somewhat normal human being, right? I mean, I don't know what causes people to do bad things. You know, it's just sad to me to think that this is how people end up. So,
0: Gary thing is, I just I don't know if they can be changed. It's something they have to want within themselves and it's something they have to work towards. If not when they get out
1: they're just going to reoffend. Well, definitely, if they don't have rehabilitation, they're going to, right? I mean, yeah. the Florida penal system is just punitive. There's there's no opportunity it's, to... It's broken. It's yeah. so broken. Um, I learned this summer that most of the jails in Florida have no air conditioning. Hmm. And I'm like, you know, I understand that don't want it to be a good experience for people who've committed serious crimes. I get it. I've never been a person that supports the death penalty. I know there's people who feel differently than in me but just try to find a little bit of humanity in every human being and so
0: well I'm glad he hasn't changed that from you he didn't take that even though you've met some bad you
1: don't want to look at it that way no if anything I am more committed to it and you know so back to the detectives we all recognize there were some things that were not healthy for for survivors in that experience. absolutely and so I had the opportunity to meet with the police chief not long ago and a couple of his senior staff. And they listened to my experience, and they were not defensive, and they didn't make excuses, and they agreed with me. They're going to work to make changes? I'm fortunate enough that I know the mayor well enough that I have his cell phone number in my phone. You know, I tried to get different detectives. Like, it just... The supervisor for those detectives was not helpful either. I ended up calling the mayor, which I don't do very lightly because I don't want to take advantage of the fact that I know him, right? I don't think that's appropriate. But I had no other choice at that point. So I ended up calling him and I thought, and eventually those detectives were super nice to me Mm. and super helpful the whole rest of the time. Oh, I'm sure they were. But... I'm like, I don't know how many other people who go through what I went through would do that, right? I mean, and I don't want people to give up or whatever, so I've been committed to, like, trying to fix that, and I got to have that meeting with the police chief, and he listened. So, at the time, that was important to me to to do it, but you don't really know, like, how much they're going to take with them, right? Right. Are they just going to listen and be polite and all that? They did tell me the supervisor was, like, moved to a different position, and... It sounded like, you know, it was a result of this. So it felt good to have the meeting, but you don't know like what's gonna, what the results will be. So they contacted me recently and they invited me to come back and see the changes that they have made. Wow. Um, Yeah. I haven't had that meeting yet. It's next, I think it's next Saturday. You know, I consider that a win, right? Because. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's
0: another reason why I do these podcasts because our system is so broken and it's time that we say enough. Re-victimizing victims, we're not taking things seriously. A lot of these people that get out and they do this stuff, they're not even supposed to be out of prison because they've already gone and
1: they get out early and then they redo it. There's a pattern here. Yeah, I also met with the state attorney's office because there were parts of that experience that weren't good either. this one minor example is, you know, the state attorney calls me back in for an interview late in the process, and I have my advocate with me, thank goodness, and we're sitting in the, like, witness, the victim witness area, whatever it is, she starts playing the police tapes for me, and I didn't expect that, and I'm listening to myself on the police tapes, Right. And it was very real, and so I started crying. My advocate noticed I was crying. The state attorney did not. And my advocate said, are you all right? And so... She looked for some tissue, and there was none anywhere. And if you're familiar with the judicial complex, it's a huge, big complex, right? And the state attorney's office is all the way at the far end, and my advocate went to go find me some. She had to go all the way to the restrooms in the front and get toilet paper. Wow. Here's a state attorney who deals with victims, right? That's their whole job, and they don't even have, like, tissue for people who might be crying. Right, you know, and and that's just a minor thing. There were other things that were, like, when I called the police, I called the non-emergency number, and they're like, why didn't you call 911? Well, I've never called 911 before. I didn't think about calling 911. I called the number I was used to calling for the police. And I don't know why I didn't call 911. I didn't think of it, you know, but they they do a whole lot of that. Why did you do that? Like, that doesn't make sense, you know, and there's, there's a whole lot of that that goes on. So I had a meeting with them as well. I don't know what change will be had there, but I just needed to try. So absolutely, because so
0: many people, they just give up. And we can't give up because then they're always going to win.
1: I get notifications about Derek Malone when he moved somewhere, and I got one last week that said he was assigned to a prison in the Panhandle. So how old was he? He's 38. Well, he's 39 now, but it's a crazy experience. Uh, like I said, I lost part of the time when I would have been living a normal life. I actually... You've grown from it. And, and not only that, I, I should add that people throughout this have been incredibly kind to me told my story on Facebook right and I needed to for a couple reasons. I was used to being like active in the community and people seeing me doing a lot of stuff and I wasn't doing that. I wanted people to know what happened to me why they didn't see me anymore. It was also like cathartic to like get it off my chest. Absolutely. The response is like people were so kind to me I got so many messages some people I don't even barely know like sent me some money to help me with cost. I had a I spent thousands of dollars on rental cars last year, and then the hotel cost and things. People helped me with costs. People brought me food. People brought me books to read. It's nice when a community comes together. There's a church that I don't even attend where one of the people in the church hadn't. So my car was eventually totaled. And so I didn't have a vehicle. It's really hard, first of all, to get another one, even when you have insurance. Like my car was eventually stolen four times. You have to pay deductibles every time you have a claim. And then if you go buy a new car, you have to put a Down payment down, and so there's a lot of expense around that. And have been following what's going on with the car industry right now. There's this huge shortage because they don't have the chips, so there's very little inventory, and prices are super high and all that. I couldn't pay for the rental car anymore. I turned it back in. I'm like, I'm gonna make do the old-fashioned way, right? I'll take the bus, and you know, Uber when I need to, and you know, I'm gonna make it work. And I did that for a while. I walked six blocks to the grocery store and carried the groceries back, you know, and wow, stuff. Um, and then there's this church I don't even attend. And the pastor knew that I didn't have a car. And he said, somebody in his church has an extra car they don't need anymore. And would I like it? And so I'm like, that's incredibly kind. Right. right? I don't know these people at all. And they're giving me a car. And so, and it's an older car, but it, it's very reliable. air conditioning works. Yeah. <laughs> You know, and so these people I don't even know gave me a car, you know, so throughout the whole thing, people have been like incredibly kind and incredibly good. And that has not been lost on me. And so in a lot of ways, like I can't say that this was a good thing. But in a lot of ways, it's made me stronger and more aware and more appreciative about things in life. And you know, from that, I'll take I'll take the good things from it that I can.
0: And I find that very empowering. Don't let it beat you. You you rose above and you look at things a little differently now. And I do.
1: That's okay. Yeah. Have <laughs> kind of like changed the way we look at things now. So I think if we can appreciate things from those experiences, it's only going to help us going forward. Absolutely. I agree.
0: I think your story is very impelling and I'm so thankful that you
1: want to share it with me. I'm happy to. I hope it, I hope it means something or maybe it can be helpful to somebody out there. If you need anything where you, where I can be supportive of survivors or anything along that line, I'm happy to do it. So, yeah. And I
0: think that will help you heal as well. When you know you can give back to others and provide maybe something that was missing for you at th- that time, I think that's
1: very comforting and healing. It does. And it gives me a sense of, like, strength, right? To be able to, like... Absolutely. Because you're able to tell your story. Yeah. And it's like reclaiming your story. Exactly. You know, so...
0: Yeah. Yeah. You won in the end. It was a long road, but yeah. you won. Yeah. I made it through. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. If you have a story that you would like to share, feel free to send me a message on any of my socials or through my Crime Over Cocktails website. Just don't use Facebook, but you can send them on Instagram or through Gmail, crimeovercocktails at gmail.com, and we can set something up. Make sure you're liking, following, subscribing, and giving five-star reviews on your favorite platform. And that's it, you guys. We'll talk crime another time. Good night.